Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Manny Moreno, thank you so much for being here and being a guest on the Mike Litton Experience. I could not thank you more. I'm so excited to be able to spend this time with you, bud. Oh, Mike, well, thank you for having me. It's a privilege, and I just look forward to seeing what we uncover today. That's going to be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. so, so as we talked about before we started this, our passion, so we, everybody has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And so with your permission, what we're going to do is we're going to start with where you were born and we're going to go all the way through your life story up until today. And then we can talk about anything you'd like to talk about that you're working on today and anything you're working on today for tomorrow. Okay. So, Sounds good. So what, where were you born? I was born in Pico Rivera, California. Okay. Like East LA. Okay. So did you grow up there? Yeah, I was there since until I was 17 years old before I went to college up north in Northern California. Okay. So what was your favorite thing about growing up in Pico Rivera? It's a good question. I think for me, it was my childhood. You know, I was very fortunate to be born before cell phones, social media. So I just spent a lot of time outside, riding mm -hmm. bikes, riding skateboards, um, spending time with my neighborhood friends. And it was just, you know, we were, we, we stayed out as long as we could until we heard our parents yell for us, you know, through the front doors. Right. Uh, and yeah, it's just some of my most fond memories. And I just feel like a lot of kids these days don't experience that level of, of play and imagination. It's, it's a lot of tablets and screens. So I think that's probably my favorite thing about growing up there. Um, that is just a culture. It's a very Latino culture. Mm -hmm. uh, my family is from Mexico. Most of the people who lived at the time, in Pico Rivera, uh, were Latinos. Mm -hmm. So everything was just comfortable. And yeah, I would say those were my favorite things about it. The food. Ooh. So who was the most influential person to you growing up? Mm. Growing up, definitely my grandma. Um, she was born in Mexico, came to the U.S. Um, and she, my grandpa, her husband or ex-husband was you know, military here in the U.S., they divorced because he became an alcoholic. I'm sure some of the side effects of being in the military. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't really get to know him until very later on, but only for a brief moment. But my grandma, man, she was the rock, the biggest inspiration, the hardest worker that I know, this, the most selfless person I knew. And, you know, she just made an impact on a lot of people. I actually still have a photo of her right here at my desk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a really cool thing about my grandma, and you know, one story that stood out to me, and she told me this way later when I was older. Well, she came to this country, you know, she worked hard. She was a seamstress, so she just sewed clothes ever since she was in America until the day she passed. And um, she, I forget exactly what years, but she would work every day for like I think she started like four dollars an hour, then six dollars an hour, and then to the very end, 
she was only ever making like $12 an hour. Mm. Um, but this woman was so hardworking. She would work overtime. And, and she, I remember her telling me a story where like, she, it took her six years to, I believe to save up $20,000 to buy the home that I grew up in. So mm. my parents, I love them, but they never were able to get their finances in order and always struggled. I was born and I think for four years, I lived in an apartment with my parents and then they couldn't make that work. So we, we all ended up moving into my grandma's house um, and we all grew up there. So my grandma was the one who was financially sound, stable, emotionally stable. And she was, yeah, the foundation of our family. And, um, and then one last thing I'll say, like, you know, the reason why she's, well, I would say, and on top of all that, mm -hmm. I felt like she sacrifice everything to make our dreams come true right you know she was just so just selfless and you know i would not be where i am today if it wasn't for her and all the sacrifices and then it's so funny because i didn't think about this until when i got into real estate but she actually built a little like adu so to speak student adu in her backyard probably would have passed the code these days but mm -hmm. that helped pay for my rent and some of my bills when i went to college because she was that forward thinking. She's like, how do I help? You know, and this is one way that I can help uh, my grandson do bigger things. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I could go on and on. I could probably do a whole podcast on my grandma, but yeah. you know, there's a few of the reasons why she was the most influential person. That's awesome, man. She sounds like an amazing lady. Mm -hmm. So where did you go to high school? Went to <laughs> Al Rancho High School. Okay. Was that in Pico Rivera? Correct walking distance which was nice so what was your favorite subject in high school hmm. I think growing up I actually really enjoyed math and mm -hmm. and then sports okay. <laughs> I think that's basically it I was never a studious person yeah. um, I was that kid who had C's and D's uh and you know barely made it out of high school okay that's mm -hmm. right. so you said you went to college correct Where'd you go to college? I went to Chico State up in Chico, California. And why did you pick Chico State? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, so I chose there because I was a runner. One of, one of the sports that I ended up falling in love with and became more dedicated was cross country and long distance running. Okay. And two of the people that I was really close to ended up choosing Chico State. And then I was able to be a walk-on as a cross country. Okay. Um, athlete up in Chico. So that was kind of the incentive. I already knew people that were going. And at the time I was young, very immature. So I was like, I want to be as far away from my parents as possible. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that sounds like a great idea. And I went up to Chico. It was a culture shock. You know, <laughs> it's a very different culture up there instead of growing up in East LA and then going to Chico. So that's why I ended up choosing no really stronger reason than that, but sports and I knew people who were going so is Chico State as big a party school as they as their reputation says they are? I know. I get that a lot. Um, <laughs> well, I think, one, every college campus is pre pretty much a, a, a party school. But, and, yeah, I'm, the reason why it has that reputation, I think Playboy, in like, 1976 or early, you know, late 1900s, um, they claimed it as the number one party school. And they, they were able to shake off that, that, um, that reputation. But yes, a lot of partying, and I 
I never partied before until I went to Chico State. So that gives you any. So you, you learned know. how to party. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's part of the education, right? Right, 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 right. Mm -hmm. So what did you study in school? I studied exercise physiology. Okay. Initially, I wanted to be a physical therapist. Um, but then as I got into it, I just couldn't imagine myself being in like, like in, in, a, in that setting, working with one-on-one. Most patients who get on are geatric. And as you see me now, I'm very energetic, very, I move fast mm -hmm. and I wanted something more uh, fast paced. So I didn't end up pursuing that, but that's what I studied because again, my background and what I was most comfortable and most confident with was sports and athletics. Mm -hmm. So that's why I chose exercise physiology. That's cool. So you graduate Chico State. And you leave, you leave Chico State. Where do you go then? Yeah. So a lot happened between there. Um, so while I was going to Chico State, I was hired at Riverway Ranch Camp. I was a camp counselor for basically seven years. And then after graduating college, I did one more summer at Riverway Ranch Camp where I was getting a camp counselor. Then I was like, I want to do something fun before I find that career job. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I love working with youth, kiddos. And so I, I, I interviewed for working for the Disney Cruise Lines and I got a job working at the Disney Cruise Lines. So I worked on the Disney Dream as a youth activity counselor. Mm -hmm. And I literally just ensured that kids were having a great time on the ship. Right. And everything from karaoke to foosball to biking, snorkeling, kayaking, uh, volleyball, and just made sure that, you know, they were having the best time of their life and giving them memorable experiences. So I met people from all over the world. It was a really cool experience. And yes, that's what, that's what I did after, after college. That's cool. So mm -hmm. we took a Disney cruise with our children. Nice. What I, was, I was thoroughly impressed. Mm -hmm. I was thoroughly impressed. We got on, we got on the ship and they handed us a pager. Oh, wow. And the girl started to show me how to, how to operate the pager. And my wife just stopped her and she said, he's had one of these for so long. He knows exact, this is the last model that he had before he went just a straight cell phone. He knows how to operate this. Right. That's so funny. So she, so they shared with us that we could take them to the Oceaneering Club and we would take them to the Oceaneering Club and we would have a password and we would have to give them the password or we wouldn't be able to pick our kids up, right? So the very first day that we're on the ship, we were on the ship with, I think it was four other families, mm -hmm. a little bit of a crew, right? And we all took our kids up to the Oceaneering Club, checked them in, the whole thing. And Madison was my youngest, my daughter, was probably two, probably three. And we checked them in. Michael would have been right around five. Checked them in, left, went down to the, went, went back to the, to the room, changed into our swim trunks, went down to the pool, just put the towel out on the, on the chase lounge and the pager goes off. And it says, Madison wants us, is asking for, for me at the oceaneering club <clears throat> so i get up immediately i go up to the oceaneering club i give them the password they bring madison out and she stands there and i said is everything okay boo boo you know are you all right are you you know what's going on she wasn't the least bit upset she didn't have any tears in her eyes nothing she just went like this <laughs> and so i gave her a hug right and then she left didn't say anything she left went back into play and we never heard from them again 
Oh, wow. She That's just fine. wanted to know that if she asked for her dad mm. and her dad was going to respond and I was going to be there quickly if she needed anything. That was it. Wow. That's really cool. I apparently passed the up. test. Yeah, yeah. yeah apparently so. passed the test and yeah, yeah. we're on our way. But oh, it was I really that. cool. They yeah, had yeah. more fun on this on this cruise than any other cruise we went on as a family by far. Um, and it's, you know, it's geared towards them, but mm -hmm. they got a chance to hug Buzz Lightyear. They got a chance to hug Mickey. They got a chance to hug Minnie, you know, Pluto, all these, right. All these characters. So mm -hmm. it was, um, it was pretty cool. I'm glad you had a great experience. That's one of my favorite things about working at the Disney Cruise Lines. It's just their, like their training and their high standards for excellent service and mm -hmm. experiences. And, you know, it just gave me appreciation and for that level of hospitality, yeah. uh, which is really cool. So I learned so much and it really helped me communicate better with and just even body language. Like their training is so intense. And I think a lot of people don't know it unless you've been through the training mm -hmm. because they have to keep that image, that, that standard. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty cool. And one of my favorite things about that too, what you said is they really work hard to make sure that like, everybody has a great time, whether you're a kid or whether you're an adult and everything in between. Uh, and I had the privilege of kind of working all ages throughout my experience there. And it's just really cool how they really, you know, find creative ways to entertain all ages and make sure they're all having a memorable experience. So glad you experienced that as well. Well, you're absolutely right. I have pretty high standards and I was thoroughly impressed and I'm not easily impressed. <laughs> um, but as a dad, you want your kids to have as much fun or more fun than you do on a cruise. Right. And they absolutely, they absolutely did. And it was, it was an experience that nobody will ever forget. And we left after being on the cruise ship, I think it was, I think it was seven days and they wanted to stay. Oh, that's awesome. uh, they didn't want to leave. And so it was, um, it was really a, a really cool experience. One of the best things we ever did with it for them growing up. So yeah. Uh, and on that note, that was a hard part. Like as you had to keep doing the next cruise, yeah. you know, the kiddos would connect with us really well and saying goodbye was always hard and, yeah. you know, and just, yeah, it was like a little heartbreak every, every cruise. Cause you just make, you create great bonds with the parents and the whole family. And then you got to say bye. You build a relationship again. You got to mm -hmm. say bye. And it's just like nonstop. <laughs> like that's got to tug your heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how long were you with Disney? So I was with them um, actually for like one season, which was about you know five months. Mm -hmm. Was my contract, and then after that, I went back to LA, and then tried to figure out okay, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And you know, at the time, another thing that I did in college simultaneously as working with youth as a camp counselor, I became heavily involved in the nonprofit. Um, I was serving on the largest student-run nonprofit west of the Mississippi called Community Action Volunteers in Education. I started as a volunteer, actually being voluntold as per one of my friends. I was like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And eventually did. And then I actually really enjoyed it. Ended up signing up myself, you know, the next semester. Mm -hmm. And I grew within that in the five years that I was there. So I was a volunteer then I was a group leader leading the students to you know five different projects around the community of Chico and then um, became a coordinator and then eventually it became one of the directors of the entire nonprofit where we oh. oversaw 80 student 
uh, leaders that were funneling anywhere between 1,500, 2,000 volunteers annually. And we were producing 60 hours of community service a year in Chico and surrounding areas. Uh, so I just really fell in love with service mm-hmm. and giving back to the community. So after my stint at Disney and I was trying to figure out, okay, what's next? I'm like, well, I love serving. I love being physical and you know, I love being outside. I don't want to be in an office. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to become a firefighter. There and you go. So I started that pursuit. And so I started going to school for that. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, I need money income at the time I was living, you know, with my family back in LA, mm-hmm. I ended up getting a job as a surf instructor uh, in Santa Monica. So I was teaching now surf in Santa Monica, volunteering for the Santa Monica Fire Department, going to school to become a firefighter. And then I also got a job as a group fitness instructor at Base Camp Fitness because I had to pay the bills. Yeah. I didn't want, I wanted to get out of my family's home. Yeah. And then eventually I moved into a studio in Santa Monica and I was doing all those things, surf instructor, fitness instructor, volunteer um and then going to school and really pursuing that i got my emt license and it was doing that for about i would say like two to three years Mm -hmm. and then then the long story short i started getting more involved in the fire service and i was just like just i just saw trends like a lot of the guys to each their own i just realized it wasn't for me Okay. You know, a lot of overtime and, you know, you hear that there's, there's high divorce rates and just some of the traditions I didn't align with. And so I was like, after three years of pursuing it, I was like, you know what, this is not for me. And then uh, I ended up just continuing to work as a, I, I grew within the surf company mm-hmm. and then I was really enjoying the fitness training. Um, and then, and then I kind of got in a slump again. I was like tired of paying the high rents in Santa Monica because I was so used to paying $230 up in Chico. Mm-hmm. Right now I was paying like over a thousand dollars in Santa Monica yeah. and, you know, paycheck to paycheck. I was rarely in that studio because I was always working. I only slept there six hours a day, if that, mm-hmm. and then I was out, out and about all the time. So then I bought a van and I converted a 2016 Mercedes Sprinter into a tiny home. Uh, that I ended up living in for a year and a half, uh, being a personal trainer, surf instructor, and just going up and down the coast of California, surfing my heart out. So, and then that's kind of my post Disney experience. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're, so you do that and, and you're in a sprinter van that you've converted, right? With my dad. Yeah. And so you're going up and down the coast, you're surfing, you're doing your thing, right? Um, what happens then? Yeah. So a few things. So when that was an incredible experience, met amazing people, great connections. Um, I started a brand called Bueno Bueno, which is all about sharing that good, good energy and insight. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I didn't mention is that around my mid twenties, 26 is when I really started reading books and reading books really changed my life. And so I just started, you know, devouring books. I just, mm-hmm so curious like kind of like you what you said earlier before we started this podcast i was always fascinated like why are some people happy or have a great attitude or super successful and you know or they have less but they're happier than people who have it all 
Mm-hmm. And then why are some people like struggling and pain, depressed, all these negative things? I was just so curious. I was also like, why do I think the way I think? Am I operating at, at my best? You know, like, could there be more? Mm-hmm. Am I seeing everything? Do I have blind spots? So I just loved reading. I love the takeaways I was getting. I was like, oh, I do that. I can change that behavior. I can add this to my vocabulary. I, I My vocabulary started changing. People started noticing. I, even my family or friends from LA, they're like, oh, you sound different. You sound so educated now. They were making fun of me for my my language and my vocabulary changing. And But it, I just love to learn and grow. And so fast forward, as I was growing and learning so much about psychology, human behavior, um, and like business, I was like, I want to be able to start something where I can share this, you know, good, good energy and insights so other people can have similar breakthroughs in their lives. So mm-hmm. kind of started one one it was, and I started doing it through like coffee, just sharing. So it was before podcast where just having a cup of coffee with people. Mm-hmm. And I wish I would have interviewed all the conversations I've had in mm-hmm. our one one of coffee sessions where I would just meet with people. I would give away free coffee. People would come to my van and we just have conversations. My favorite thing to do which is to meet people and hear their stories, mm-hmm. uh, where they're from, how they got to where they started to where they're at today, just like mm-hmm. you're doing today. Yeah. And I would just do that consistently. Yeah, it's fascinating, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just loved it. I love meeting people, talking to people. And then kind of fast forward, um, I get a call from one of my, she's like my second mom, my, my mentor. Uh, this family is like my role models. I always joke that if I could be half the family they are, uh, I'd be the happiest man in the world. Mm-hmm. And I met them at the summer camp because for one week of the summer, it's called family camp where the parents get to come with the kids at the family camp and experience that as a whole family, kind of like the Disney cruise ship, mm-hmm. but a fam- but a, a summer camp because usually it's just kids, it's family with their children. And I met them there years ago. Uh, she tried to recruit me then like, oh, come help me with my nonprofit in Detroit. And, but I was like, I still have three years of school left and I'm from Southern California. I don't know if I can handle Detroit winters. Right. And, um, so I finished college, did everything we just talked about. And then we always stayed in touch while I was living in my van. Also, I've done a lot. One, another thing too, is I was hit up by my, um, my summer camp. They're like, Hey, you know, you've done so much over the years. You've grown so much would you be interested in being a recruiter for the summer camp? I'm like, interesting. Tell me more. And then I was hearing it. Yeah. Like basically it's like, you got to go to different college campuses all over California. Uh, We'll pay for your flights, travel, all that hotel food, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and I was living in my vans. I was living in my vans. I was like, the wheels were spinning. Like this could Mm -hmm. be a great opportunity. I was like, okay, well, let me ask you, like, could I have all those benefits but you just pay me instead and I'll just take my van everywhere. I'm actually living mm-hmm. in a van, a nice van. Yeah, and, why and, and why not? And they're like, oh my God, of course, amazing. So it was like a win-win. I was able to get a, an incredible opportunity job, travel all over California, visiting different college campuses, recruiting the future camp counselors to this camp that I was very passionate about. And so I did that for, you know, probably for about like, yeah, like two semesters because mm-hmm. the whole school year recruiting for the following summer and that was incredible so i got paid to live in my van travel all over california and just meet great people and interview them and give them cool jobs That's cool. Uh, so i did that and then as i was wrapping up that i get a call from trigger who was one of the 
the mothers that I met at this camp. Mm-hmm. She was the founder of a nonprofit called Humble Design in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they take donated furniture from the community, then they fully furnish and personalize people's homes who recently transitioned out of homelessness. Mm-hmm. So it's like HDTV, but for people experiencing homelessness. Right. And it's incredible. She's like, Manny, um, just reaching out. Cause I was actually in San Diego recruiting. I reached out to her. We caught up. She's like, Manny, I'm, I want to start a humble design here in San Diego. Hmm. Like, would you, I know you have a lot of experience in uh, nonprofit. Right. You have experience in recruiting. You're passionate about serving. You're like, will you join me in helping me start humble design San Diego? Cool. And because I have so much admiration for this woman and her whole family, I'm like, absolutely there's not a lot of people who like drop whatever i'm doing to go help and i was very aligned with her and the mission so i was like you just i was ready to go like that day she's like no manny we're not ready we want to make sure we can raise enough funds to hire you properly Mm -hmm. like like don't worry about it like i can start today and she's like no 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 like do your thing (laughs) about two weeks later she gives me a call and she's like we're ready and i'm like you got it i'll be there and you know two weeks. And so that was my stint in traveling, working as a recruiter. That's what got me to San Diego. Mm-hmm. And then I, we helped her start. It started with two employees. It was myself and this other guy named Esty. I was kind of like the director of operations mm-hmm. and she was more of the funding, but we did everything kind of together, boots on the ground. And then Trigger was like, all right, like you need to raise $250,000. You need to hire movers. You need to hire designers. You need to find a warehouse. And you need to get a lot of furniture. I think this was like February. And she's like, mm-hmm. and by September, because we're going to start filming a TV show. And I'm like, holy moly. So believe it or not, we were able to accomplish all of that uh, in a short few months. Wow. And, and we got a warehouse. We got the funding, mostly from private donors here in San Diego, mm-hmm. which is a blessing. Uh, uh, we found somebody who would, you know, give us a warehouse for cheap in National City. Uh, we did all sorts of marketing and um, lunch and learns and got a lot of furniture. And and then, yeah, yeah then we did a, a TV show. So that's what moved me to San Diego. Mm-hmm. I worked for Humble Design for about two years mm-hmm. and other things, I can tell you more, but that's, I'll pause there. Um, but that's where I was and that's what got me down to San Diego, Humble yeah. Design. So how long were you, were you with Humble Design? I was there for two years and it was incredible. But the nonprofit world, what I realized, and again, during this time, I was still reading books. Yeah. I love questions. And one of the, one thing I've, I found myself was, I found myself in a position where I was like, I really love the nonprofit industry, mm-hmm. but I feel like I'm about to be the client we're serving. Because right. in the nonprofit, you don't get paid very much. Um, living in San Diego, at this time, I'd already gotten rid of the van because I couldn't afford the van and an apartment. Now that I knew that I was starting this nonprofit, Humble Design, I didn't, need, I didn't really need the van. I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't utilizing it. So I okay. sold that, rented in PV, was working, um, help, you know, helping to grow that. And... But I just found myself like my savings and everything was just dwindling, 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 dwindling. Uh, I was very passionate with what I was doing. But then the question that changed my life, I think, was Jack Welsh. He says, like, is where you are now going to take you where you want to go? 
And then when I asked myself that question, the hard truth, the hard reality was it's not. There's no, yeah. Where I want to go is pretty simple. I just want a better future for myself and my future family. Mm-hmm. And I want freedom, option, and choice. Right. And being a nonprofit, I wasn't going to get that. So, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do next, but I just knew I couldn't stay there. Right. So I had a tough conversation with my people that I admire. It was really hard. It was an identity crisis. I was a nonprofit guy for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I was like, who am I? Like, what am I going to do and not be in the nonprofit world? Right. I thought this was going to be my forever and it was not. So a lot of reflection, obviously, like we try to ask for like more money, but that just wasn't going to work, especially being such a young nonprofit here in San Diego. So just, I had to let that go. And the funny thing is I went to Bali. I was like, you know what? I love surfing. I just need to get like mental clarity. So I went to Bali uh, for just over three weeks mm-hmm. to just avoid all distractions. Get, and then I, I was like, my intention was I'm going to go read and reflect, kind of figure out what I really want to do. Right. And it was filled with a lot of adventure. Uh, I did get some clarity. I brought books with me. And at the time too, throughout this whole season of my 20s, I unfortunately adapted the bad habits. I didn't even have any role models financially. Mm-hmm. So I was always struggling financially throughout this entire time. I was always in debt. I was always just paycheck to paycheck, just like my parents. Right. And and then I was just fed up. I'm like, you know, I'm tired of being broke and in debt and just paycheck to paycheck. And I didn't have mentors, but I remember this quote and I was like, if you don't have any mentors, the best place to start is a bookshelf. So I, I bought six financial Ooh. literacy books and I read them all. So I, I started reading that. financial literacy books. I learned how to budget. I learned how to, uh, you know, about assets and liabilities, rich dad, poor dad, mm-hmm. rich dad, poor dad was a book that started. Uh, so, so rich dad, poor dad, a few others. Mm-hmm. And, and then I was like, okay. And then I saw, I started seeing a common pattern in all these right. books is that a lot of the people that I admire and that were successful, yeah. they all had their hands in real estate. It's like, what is this real yeah. estate thing? Amazing so then, how that's a common thread, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then all the books, they all mentioned real estate. So like, what is real estate? I found bigger pockets. I started listening to that podcast religiously. Because mm-hmm. a lot of it was like people telling stories like, hey, I'm a normal person who's, you know, buying assets getting passive income so I can have freedom, option, and choice. I'm like, that's exactly what I want. Right. And these are, I believe them. these were normal people buying mm-hmm. real estate, getting what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, if they can do it. They're being super transparent and honest in these podcasts. It, it seems like the simple path or the easier path. And then just click for me. That's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. I'm going to get into yeah. real estate. So I came back. I knew I was going to do real estate. And so I started interviewing. I didn't have my license. I had mm-hmm. no sales background, no license. So I'm like, all right. And then in college, I also learned that the fastest way to learn something is to fully immerse yourself in that environment. So it's like, yeah. okay, I want to be, I decided I want to be a real estate investor. Okay. Who the heck is going to hire somebody with no experience? Right. So I started looking for jobs with like realtors with a background in investing to be like mm-hmm. their assistant, transaction coordinators. Um, and just any, anybody that would hire me in the real estate world who has an, eph- an emphasis in investments right. uh, without a license, uh, interview with a few people and 
you know, things didn't work out on LinkedIn. I saw Gigi Holmes mm-hmm. and I had a mutual friend, a new friend that I had just met. And I, I was like, Hey, I'm going to like come over for dinner. I'm going to cook you dinner. And I told him, hey, tell me everything about Gigi Homes. And they told me like acquisitions company, they fix and flip, they wholesale, they do long-term rentals, they do short, short-term rentals. I'm like, that's the environment I want to be in. Exactly. You know, like I want to learn from the, from the people who are doing it at a high level. Mm-hmm. So he heard me out and he was already there and well-established. He made a call to one of the higher uppers. I got a call like that night, set up an appointment that Friday and I was hired by the following week through wow. like three intensive interviews. And I just started as a cold caller mm-hmm. and I was just banging the phones for a year and a half. Uh, I was, you know, I was able to get you know, right around 15 transactions my first year and just fully immersed myself. I was interviewing the top closers. I was just trying to pick everybody's brain and I was able to, you know, that. So I'll pause there. So that's how long I stayed at Humble Design. That was my transition from Humble Design to real estate uh, to, you know, working at one of the largest real estate investing firms here in San Diego Yeah. and how I got into real estate. And the way I sum it up is it all started really with books, you know, education and seeking understanding from, you know, all those people who are so kind enough to pour in all their experience into pages that we can all read from. Right. That's cool, man. That's mm-hmm. really cool. So how long were you with Gigi Holmes? So you start, okay, so hold on. You started out cold calling mm-hmm. and then did did you get promoted? Yeah, so I was like an associate closer and then agent relations. So, you know, they saw that I was really good with people and they're like, Manny, we feel like you would be a great representation. Go out there and start building relationships with realtors because mm-hmm. they're a great um, channel for opportunities as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's just started going to all these uh, real estate meetups, networking with people, letting them know that, hey, we're investors. Uh, we're looking to buy more property. And then with that, I just met incredible, I made incredible friendships. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I met my lender, Jared Kelly, who helped me mm-hmm. buy an off-market fixer wholesale with an FHA loan. And I was able to use 75000 to go into renovation all through one loan. Like who you work with matters. Yeah. And people with experience. And and it's crazy. That's how I met now our partners now. Well, Paul Burke was also at GG. Mark Patterson I met through just through the real estate world and networking. Mm-hmm. And then that was about, you know, over a year ago. And then fast forward a year, now we're all working together to start got fixers. We're about just over around seven months in. Yeah. And it's been an incredible ride. So it's just really cool how fast your life can change when you put yourself out there, you meet people, you treat people right. And, you know, and then, you know, opportunity comes, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And you got to work hard too. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. I mean, that's, you know, it's not easy, Mm -hmm. but if you align yourself with the right people, it can be easier, right? It can be, it can be an opportunity that, that can change your life. So so you so you bought your first house that was a fixer with an FHA 203k loan? Nope, just FHA. Okay, so just FHA mm-hmm. and then you fixed it up. Yep. Then it's a happened? duplex. So okay. fix it up. I poured most of the the uh, upfront costs in the front unit. It was a four two. So I Airbnb that unit. Okay. And then I live in the back unit with a roommate to maximize my profits. 
Right. And because I wanted my favorite strategy is to house hack. And again, I learned that from bigger pockets, the books. I want I'm doing the stacking method. Okay. I want to buy a duplex and then hopefully here in the next six months, 12 months, buy another duplex, triplex, or fourplex. And I go from two to four or six doors. Okay. And then do that again. You go from now 10 to 14. Okay. And then just keep doing that, especially now with the five percent down. And, and then eventually I want to diversify and buy out of state, you know, to keep doing more fix and flips, wholesales, and just until I have my enough number. And, you know, when I have a family like you, you talked about that earlier, you know, before we started, mm-hmm. I too want to be the father that's in the stands at every event. That's why I do what I do. I yeah. want to be a present father and I want to be a present husband because growing up, even though I love my parents, you know, they weren't very present because they were in survival mode. They just had mm-hmm. to keep working and keep food on the table and pay the bills. And I don't want that for myself or my future family. Yeah. As a kid, I made a promise to myself that I would run my business versus my business running me. And I would make absolutely sure that I made the time mm-hmm. for my children. So when my so when my children would look up in the stands, I would be there. You know, my my daughter. Is it okay if I share something with you? Of course. So my daughter was was a freshman in college in Los Angeles. <clears throat> and she called me and she said, Dad, I just did a, a project for, for one of my classes where I got up in front of everybody and, and presented our family. And she said, and it dawned on me while I was making this presentation that I needed to call you and tell you something. And I said, what's going on? And she said, our, my junior year in high school, we were the perfect family. I said, Madison, what, what makes you say that, right? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, think about it, Dad. You were on the board of directors of the charter school system in Escondido. You were the announcer of the football team. So when they had their home football games, I was the guy, I'm the guy up in the press box with the microphone doing the play-by-play. So cool. She was on the sidelines as a captain in the on the cheer team, cheering the football team on. My son was the MVP of his basketball team both his junior and senior year and my wife was the president of the pbo the parent volunteer organization mm-hmm. right very she, she said my junior year in high school we were the perfect family and so now when i work with young people that are getting married and starting families and doing all that i i tell them that i hope one day that their child calls them and says that to them because it was one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me in my life. Mm-hmm. Okay. I gave you the goosebumps. So I interviewed the founder of the charter school system that my children attended and graduated from. <clears throat> and I told him what Madison said. I'm interviewing him for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Got his life story, the whole thing. And I told him what Madison said. And I said, you know what's interesting, coach, is all of this, every single thing that she mentioned is is circles or is surrounded by and it's connected to your school so Eskino charter high school is what all of those things are michael was the mvp she was the captain of the cheer team i was on the board i was the announcer my wife was the president of pbo every single thing had to do with Eskino charter high school mm-hmm. that's what getting that's what being involved like we're talking about Bye. that's what that gets you mm-hmm. right because you have an opportunity if you if you're controlling your time and controlling your schedule, which is where you're headed, you have the time to be able to give back. Mm-hmm. And when they look up in the stands, 
you're there. Ah, that's amazing. And that's the goal. Mm-hmm. So one day I'm going to have to come back to you to see, you know, how you did it. So make sure, you know, I'm, I'm headed up on the right path. Well, I'm happy to, I'm happy to share that with you in any way I possibly can. I had a phone conversation the other day with somebody <clears throat> about a property that was available for rent mm-hmm. for a client of mine that I was helping to find a place. And I got on the phone with him and we were on the phone for over an hour. Mm-hmm. And it turns out he's the chief of staff at one of the biggest hospitals in San Diego County. And he was asking me about parenting for over an hour, Manny. Wow. And what he was asking, the reason he was asking me was he has an 11, a 13, and a 15 year old at home. And I have a 25 and 23 year old, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, So what did you say when, when they did this? What did you say when they did this? What did you, right? And so I told him, I said, I didn't say anything. I just asked them. Mm-hmm. And he said, really? So you you raised your children using the Socratic method? I said, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I never talked at my children. I always asked my children questions. Mm-hmm. Right? <clears throat> and it was important to me that I was able to pull out of them what I already knew the conclusion needed to be but I needed it to be their idea, Mm -hmm. right? One of the things I knew before I became a dad was I knew that my children were going to be headstrong. Some people call it bullheaded. (laughs) And I'm sure they didn't get it from me. (laughs) I'm joking, right? But I knew my children were going to be like me. And I knew that they were going to be somewhat stubborn, okay? And so one of the ways that you deal, and you know this, one of the ways you deal with stubborn people is you you ask them questions and you help them come to the conclusion so that it's their idea of what needs to be done, whatever the right thing is to do. Okay. So, um, yeah, so it was pretty cool. So, yeah. So go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, and that's what we train every day. Like it's mind blowing how a lot of even experienced people in real estate and I think that was a big part of my success is asking questions. My favorite yeah. thing is questions. And I feel like too, like the quality, Tony Robbins said it best, the quality of your life is directly correlated with the quality of the questions you ask yourself. Correct. So if you're not where you want to be, you just have to ask yourself the right questions. And, and yeah, and I, I have so many questions and that question leads to, okay, well, if I don't have the answer, we're going to go find that answer. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's books or it's people who are already where you're at or already have the family Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so I love that. I'm a big believer in questions and I'm constantly training our sales team to ask more questions. And then when they reveal the information, ask more questions, uh, to really get deeper. Cause a lot of what's surface level isn't the truth. It's, it's a couple more questions, uh, underneath that. So yeah, anyway. that's exactly what it is. And you have to care enough mm-hmm. to ask. Right. So if you're in sales, if you're in anything where you're trying to help people, you have to care enough to ask the questions that, let's be honest, can lead you somewhere somewhat uncomfortable. There could be pain there. Right. But you got to care enough to ask. And if you care enough to ask, you'll develop a deeper relationship with them than anybody else out there. And they'll only deal with you because of that. It's amazing how it works. It literally eliminates your competition. Do you mind if I share something with you? Please, yeah. So a, a good buddy of mine is an investor. And I was sitting with him one day and we were talking about buying a piece of land in Del Mar that he was going to build six houses on. 
and it was already mapped. It was already ready to go. They, the builder had, had gone bankrupt and we were going to be buying it out of, out of foreclosure. And so I was sitting with him at a restaurant in UTC and we were having breakfast and we were talking and he just checked out. Like he just, you ever done that? Like you've ever, have you ever sat with somebody and then they just, they just leave you mentally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he, he left me. And so I stopped what I was, what I was saying mid sentence. And I just said, what's up? And he goes, well, he goes, I'm worried. And I said, well, what, what are you worried about? He goes, well, you know, we have a, you know, we have a, a baby boy. And I said, yeah. He said, well, he's, he's getting ready to turn one. I said, okay. And he said, I said, what are you worried about? He goes, well, he hasn't said anything for over two months, Mike. And I said, no, that's not possible. That's not even possible. Cause when we get, we would get on the phone, he and I on his speaker phone in his truck, his son would be in the back and he'd be talking baby talk. He wanted to be in the conversation. So I would talk to him through the speakerphone and I'd ask him questions, right? And he'd be back there trying to answer my questions. Nobody could understand a thing he was saying, including him. It was all baby talk, right? And so I'm like, that same kid, he's, yeah, he goes, I said, okay, well, let me ask you a question. What does he do when he wants something? He said, he, he points and he grunts. And I said, well, I used to do that when I was a kid. So make him tell you what it is that he wants before you get it for him. And by the way, this will help you when you have kids. Mm -hmm. when, you're, when you have your first baby, they train you. Believe it or not, they train you. And if they even start to whimper, you're going to leap up and you're going to go grab whatever it is and you're going to get it for them. Because otherwise they start crying and they throw mm -hmm. a fit. And, okay. And what I told him was I said, he's going to cry. Talk with mama. Make sure she's on the same page with you. But let him cry. Make him tell you what that is. Mm -hmm. Okay before you go get it for him. He's gonna throw a fit, let him do it. The other thing is, when you go home at night, what do you do? He said, well, I, I go home and I pick him up and I give him a hug and a kiss and I tell him I love him. So, okay, what else? He goes, well, I talk to him. I said, okay, well, stop doing that. He said, which part? I said, stop talking to him. And he goes, why? And I said, because I want you to ask him questions. Mm. You go home, I don't want you to say a single thing to him don't tell him to do anything. Don't talk to him. Ask him questions. How was your day? Did you take care of mama? How was, how were the birds? How did the dog do? What did you eat something? Did, what was your favorite food today? How good was your lunch? Ask him, ask him, ask him. Now he cannot answer until he learns how to talk. But here's the thing. We come out of the womb, Manny programmed to answer questions. If you don't think so, you get in front of a two-year-old that's throwing a tantrum, walk up to them, get in their face and go, what's wrong? They will stop what they're doing. They'll forget that they were in a temper tantrum. They'll turn their head sideways and look at you like a dog that's heard a sound for the first time. Mm -hmm. And they completely forget what, you know, you've completely interrupted their pattern, mm -hmm. right? Right. Because when you ask them questions, even when they're a brand newborn baby, they focus on you and they want to answer because they're literally programmed to answer, okay? Mm -hmm. So he goes home and he does what I suggested, okay? A couple of days later, I called him. I said, so what's happening? He goes, well, we're not worried anymore. And I said, that's great news. Why is that? He goes, we can't get him to shut up. <laughs> that's awesome. He just needed, Manny, he just needed permission from his parents to talk. Mm -hmm. That's all he needed. He just needed them to ask him questions and pull it out of it. That's all he needed. Mm -hmm. They were literally considering 
putting him or having him tested for the autism spectrum. Mm. Okay. They were that worried about it. Wow. So the power of questions is a much greater power than most people realize. And when you're a parent, it is incredibly powerful mm -hmm. because when your children mess up, they expect that you're going to yell at them, that you're going to, you're going to spank them. You're whatever, right? You're going to do whatever to, to punish them. Okay. <clears throat> my, my, my sister and I grew up, we fought like cats and dogs. And I was not going to allow that to happen with my kids. I wasn't going to allow it to happen. So from the time that they understood English, I would, I would tell them this, Hey, let me ask you a question. What's your job? And they would say, be nice. Is what you just did to your sister or to your brother an example of being nice? No. What should you do? Say, sorry. What else? Not do it again. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. We did that same script, those same exact questions for the entire time they were growing up. Okay. Fast forward to Madison 16, Michael 17. <clears throat> Michael's almost 18 at this point. They get into a squabble. We're in a 3,000 square foot house in Escondido and they're up in the in the upstairs. I hear it. I'm like, okay, you two down here right now with me. They come down, they sit down, same exact script. They go, they go their separate ways. A couple of days later, Madison's working on getting her her um her um permit. And so mm -hmm. I'm driving with her so she can get her hours in and her practice in. And she said, Dad, and I said, Yeah. She goes, Remember the other day? When we got into a squabble and you brought us downstairs and yeah, she goes, we had already solved it, dad. That taught me, Manny, that what I, that my approach worked. Mm -hmm. They figured out how to solve it, how to resolve conflict between them, between themselves, themselves, right? We were able to teach them to do that by using that Socratic method. Mm, I love that. So, yeah, questions are powerful. It, it yeah, helps. we could do a whole like sales train on that too. We could do a whole podcast on, on questions. Oh, absolutely like, could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely I love could. it. Mm -hmm. So, so you're so you started Got Fixers and you've been there seven months, right? Mm -hmm. Super proud of you, by the way. Thank you. So, what's your favorite thing about owning your own company and buying property and fixing it up and reselling it? Mm. I think the biggest thing now, honestly, is the team. That's my favorite thing because now we have people with experience and people with no experience and just being able to create like an ecosystem to help elevate them. Mm -hmm. And now like one of my favorite books is Sales Management Simplified. Mm -hmm. And in that book, one of the premises, like I can no longer be the hero. I need to make new heroes out of the, the new team, the new acquisitions people. And, you know, I can't be out there closing every deal, but how do I multiply myself and create new heroes within this industry? Mm -hmm. So I would say that's definitely my favorite part about starting the company and pouring into them. All of them, all, a lot of them want to buy their first, second investment property, just like I did just over a year ago. Mm -hmm. And my biggest dream would be able to help them be successful in acquisitions, close more deals, get them paid so they can buy their first second investment property because it's it was life-changing for me and i've already seen all the benefits of owning real estate uh so the team first i love our culture the camaraderie see them excited to come in and you know it's not 
easy though. Like we've had lulls, right? People get close to deals and then they fall out and it's, it's heartbreaking and you got to coach them through that. And, you know, you know, we've had a few people, not a few, we've had like, you know, two people go, which is normal. I knew that was going to happen in the industry. And so, but for the most part, it's definitely yeah, the culture, the team, and then about the fix and flip properties for the, for me, it's like, I enjoy seeing something that's like ugly, you know, not well taken care of. And then just the transformation always blows my mind. You know, every time we do these, you know, we're doing fix and flips. Um, it's just cool. Like, I never as a kid appreciated a home or interior design, mm -hmm. but now that I'm much older, I understand the value and the importance of your environment and space. So when, you know, you can change the layout of a house to make it more open concept and more feng shui and more flow and feel more like a safe haven, mm -hmm. that's cool because then I know that next family that's gonna move in there, they're gonna enjoy it. They're gonna mm -hmm. be able to create these family, make those legacies, you know, build a better tomorrow. And also I'm a big believer too. Like we're, we're, we're bringing value to the San Diego community by, you know, literally revitalizing one home at a time, one ugly home at a time. And I know there's pros and cons to that, but you know, that's really cool. And then lastly too, I also just enjoyed the hunts. Like when I was a caller, it's just, it's just exciting to, you know, someone who's like, says no to you or they're yelling at you at the phone when you first start and then by the end of it they're apologizing oh i'm so sorry i was yelling at you in the beginning you know i just get all these calls all the time mm -hmm. and and then you know we we helped them sell their home so mm -hmm. it's just like i love that part of it and i just love seeing the growth the momentum and then ultimately just growing with other people like mark and paul us all working together to build this is really cool because I'm in charge of the sales. Mm -hmm. Paul is in charge of all operations. And Mark is like the design and, you know, the finances and, and then obviously his legacy and his strong foundation with all his other companies. Um, so it's just really cool to be able to learn so much from them, you know, uh, as well. So I actually love, I know that wasn't a short answer, but I actually, as I say that, I'm like, wow, I actually kind of love all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, well, it's it's cool. So <clears throat> what you're doing is you're breathing life into something that needs it, mm -hmm. right? You're also breathing life into neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So years ago, we did a project in Escondido that was 10 duplex units and a home for a wounded veteran with Habitat for Humanity San Diego. And it all started with them being on my radio show, the CEO and the and the director of communications. They were on my show and a couple of weeks after we interviewed them on the show, they called me up and they said, Hey, we got this new property. It's just over an acre. It's in Escondido and it's in this neighborhood. And it happened to be in a neighborhood in Escondido that was that if you look up blight in the dictionary, there was a picture of this neighborhood. I mean, it's really that bad. There was a house right across the street on the same street, right across the street from this project that I had sold for JP Morgan Chase. And we called it the roach house because every time you open the door, 50 roaches went running all over the place. And the person who bought it was an investor. They put three windows in that were missing when we closed escrow and put a family in there. It was really bad. And so this whole area was that way though. I mean, it was just bad. 
-hmm. And so they, they called me up and they said, Hey, you know, we just got this and we're super excited about it. We have a problem. And I said, what's your, what's the problem? And they said, well, we, we don't have the funds and, and the city doesn't have the funds to clear it. It's got, it's been used for years and years and years as a junkyard. People have dumped all kinds of stuff out there. There were mattresses out there. There were all kinds of things, bricks, blocks, and pieces of block, um, pieces of masonry, right? You know, concrete, that kind of thing broken up out there. Um, and they needed that area clear. The only way to do it was to do it by hand. You couldn't do it with a machine, right? So me and 25 of my agents from my Keller Williams office took a day and we spent all day clearing this thing. We filled two industrial dumpsters full wow. of just debris, just junk, okay? That people had thrown out there, got it cleared. And three weeks after we got it cleared, they called me up and they said, we lost our funding. We have to scuttle the, the project. And I said, well, you can't. And they said, well, we have to. And I said, but you can't. And they said, but we have to. And I said, but you can't. This, this area is entirely too bad for you to not do this project. How much do you need? And they said, we need 2.3 million. And I said, well, I don't have 2.3 million, but I know a number of people in, San, in Escondido that love Escondido and they have access to that kind of money. And I will set up the presentations. If you'll hold on to it, I will set up the presentations and I will do them myself. All you have to do is come and show up and just sit there and listen. And if I miss something, fill in the blank, right? So we do our very first presentation and they agreed by the way. Mm -hmm. So we do our very first presentation to one of the most powerful people in the nation, let alone Escondido. Wow. And we sat there and we did this, I did, they did the present, they started the presentation and I took over because they weren't getting it right. I took over. And at the end of it, we were walking out. As we were walking out, the, this person, this powerful man that we put this together with, put his arm around the CEO of, of Habitat for Humanity San Diego. And he said, I have a bit of advice for you. And she said, what's that? And he said, let him do all the presentations. <laughs> Everything you do from now on, let him do all the talking. So we did a number of presentations. We were able to raise the 2.3 million and we dedicated 10 duplex units in a home for a wounded veteran, brand wow. new in December of 2015. Wow. A very interesting thing happened. That house across the street got repainted. It got remodeled it got fixed up and the same tenants that were living there when it was awful, when it was practically squalor, were now living in a house that was almost brand new, okay? And the houses down the street and around the project, they all started looking better. They all started getting approved. I'm telling you, I'm telling you from experience, there's a ripple effect to what you're doing for a living. You're fixing up a house in a neighborhood and then the other owners are starting to mow their lawns. They're starting to paint their houses. They're starting to pick things up. It just is human nature. Mm -hmm. Okay. You've shown pride for them. And now they assume that pride and they run with it. Mm -hmm. It's a big, big deal, Manny. It's a bigger deal than you can possibly imagine. Plus the people that you're helping. Okay. I've been able to buy properties for one of your competitors for a number of years, I bought hundreds of them. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I was able to do was I was able to establish relationships with these sellers. And oftentimes they're the heirs, that kind of thing. 
But I would establish relationships with these sellers. And after we were done remodeling it, the first people we brought in were the sellers. Okay. And we would bring them in and they couldn't even talk. They were crying so hard. And they would walk through and they'd go, you know, Mike, if my dad had the money and had the time, he would have taken that wall out. Mm. If my dad had had the money, he would have done this. He would have put these countertops in. He would have put these appliances in. You can't imagine, you cannot imagine how much it means to them. Okay. What you're doing is important. It's important for the neighborhood, but it's also important for the people that end up selling to you. Mm -hmm. Okay. I love that. That's a good point. That's really cool really that you cool, did that dude. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love really that. Cool. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we also would do is we'd go to the neighbors that we knew were friends of the seller and we would allow them in first before mm -hmm. anybody else from the general public got a chance to see. We'd oh, let them in first. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a really cool, it was a really cool deal. We called it a private open house, right? And we'd bring them in and it was just a private showing and we wouldn't allow anybody else in, just them. Love that. It was super cool, man. I like super. that. That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. So I, I've told you that I'm super proud of you and I am. Is there anything else you'd like to cover before we wrap up? Oh, gosh. Um, it's a, I think the biggest thing is, you know, one thing that makes us a little bit different is coming from the coming from the nonprofit world, coming into the real estate industry. It was kind of a culture shock, mm -hmm. you know, where. I, you know, I'm very fortunate that I have been able to meet a lot of selfless people in the real estate industry, but there are also, there are a lot of more of not selfless people in the real right. estate industry. And, you know, it was, just, it was just a culture shock, you know, to each their own. But I think like one thing that we pride ourselves on and one thing I love, why we chose to partner with Mark too, why we align with him is, you know, we just care about the people. Mm -hmm. People first, we care about the people that we, on our team, we mm -hmm. care about the agents that we partner with and we care about their clients. We care about our clients and we care about the quality of the product we put out there. So like overall, like the emphasis is that we care. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if agents, if you're listening to this and, you know, you just feel like you're a number or people aren't caring about you or your clients or your reputation, that's one thing that we pride ourselves on. And so, you know, if you're looking for an investor that's going to go a little bit more above and beyond, and help you get more properties through the finish line. Um, no, don't hesitate to reach out. But I would say that's probably like the biggest thing I would want to talk about is just that was super important to us mm -hmm. is just that level of care that we want to yeah. communicate to anybody that we engage with. Yeah, and I know you well enough to know that's genuine. Mm -hmm. And I really, I really am excited for you. I'm excited to see how you guys grow, and I'm excited to see how Got Fixers takes off. Um, and I'm super proud of you. Like I said, uh, couldn't be more proud of you. Uh, Thank you Mike. really, really, really appreciate you coming on the Mike Lytton experience and sharing your story. I know for a fact that you're going to inspire and motivate some people. You've already inspired and motivated me. Uh, and my first thing you inspired and motivated me. Like, you know, I wish, I hope that we can continue this conversation even outside the podcast, but thank you so much for having me. This was incredible. And what you're doing is so influential and I just appreciate that yeah, you make time for this to extract and inspire and aspire, you know, many people and all your listeners. So thank you. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate you. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton experience. 
If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.